0: Okay, so last time uh, we talked about uh, the subject of uh, judgment and uh, the subject of justice is even more uh, prevalent, I would say, here in um, the book of Amos. So remember where we are. Okay, So next time, we'll, uh, next week we'll talk about um, Hosea and then we'll get into Micah and Isaiah. And uh, the king we're mainly going to um, focus here during this time is Jeroboam II. And the key, I think, to understanding much of the book of Amos is to understand that despite the fact that here in the, you know, not too far in the future, 722 BC, um, Israel is going to be taken into captivity. This was actually a time of um, prosperity, wealth, power for the kingdom of Israel. Okay, it was short-lived. Okay, but it, it's pretty clear that that's what was happening uh, during this time. And we look at charts like this and we think, man, this was really short, 931 to 722 B.C. But, of course, how long has America been around? Think of all the things and revolutions and changes that have happened um, during that period of time. And our subject today, what we're going to um, consider here is the subject of justice. And remember some of the principles that we've um, tried to use in understanding things in the Bible is that we not just uh, use one key text as our whole understanding but we try to as much as possible incorporate everything that the Bible has to say on a subject we try to understand the context in which the words were said and um, we're always trying to put uh, Jesus as uh, the definitive statement uh, on every subject so what is justice in the Bible and uh, this word um, um, took on a more significance for me about three or four years ago. Um, I was asked to give a few talks uh, somewhere, and uh, somehow uh, one of the talks was about the woman caught in adultery, okay, which is really an amazing story, how this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery, and you consider the the way Jesus treated her. Uh, was really remarkable. And somehow in the discussion, you know, I said, God is love in, in the context of this story. And... Um, Someone came up with a a pretty harsh uh, rebuke after the talk. And and this is what uh, this individual said. Well, yeah, it's true that God is love, but don't forget God is also just. And we often hear that. God is love, but he's also just. And and what does that mean? How do we understand uh, justice? Certainly God is just. No one would would argue with that. But um, what does that mean? Okay, it gets often described as You know, we understand God's character. God is love, absolutely. We have those words. Okay, but the other side of the coin is God is also just. And if you could substitute another word for God's justice, uh, what words come to mind? What do you imagine happening when God deals out his uh, justice? What does that look like? Okay, now here's a quote I won't share with uh, the individual um, that said this, but, but here's, a, here's a very common uh, perception. God is love, but God also punishes the sinner and hates all who do iniquity. God is not one-sided. He is not simply an infinitely loving God. He's also infinitely just. He must deal with sin. He must punish the sinner. And so for this individual, and I think, you know, again, the, the conception for many is justice is very much, uh, we associate that highly with a punishment. Um, that comes from God. God is love, yes, but to be just, he must also um, punish. And so we uh, very often in our, with our Western ears, we hear justice and we, we put that very much into a, a legal paradigm. We understand it in that way. In terms of our legal system here, you, you know the phrase here, you do the crime, you pay the time, justice is satisfied. Okay, so that when someone is punished appropriately for their crime, Okay, justice is satisfied. Okay, is justice a person that is satisfied? What does that mean? Justice is satisfied. Um, and of course, uh, the words here, not to, um, this is not a slam on, on George Bush, but just, this is how we use the word here in our um, 21st century. We will bring the terrorists to justice. What does that mean to you? Well, they will be punished appropriately for what they've done. Okay, so again, the, the relationship here between uh, justice and our legal system and punishment. So when we talk about God's justice, we very much tend to be inclined uh, to think of it in those terms. But again, I would encourage all of you, look up uh, every reference to justice in the Bible. Let's, let's try to put it all together. And I think the Old Testament, you know, which gets a bad rap. We think of the New Testament. Wow, God is love. Look at Jesus. New Testament's incredible. Old Testament, that's kind of harsh. Uh, But really, the Old Testament is the key, I think, uh, to understanding the subject of God's justice. What is the Hebrew conception of justice? Now, back to Amos. And this is the setting here for Amos, that the northern kingdom of Jeroboam II was a proud and prosperous nation. Israel's military and political power under Jeroboam II resulted in increased commerce and wealth. It's interesting that under these circumstances, religious activity was strong. And that's very clear in the book of Amos that uh, the people were going to church, they were paying tithes, they were sacrificing, okay? they, were, they were doing a lot of these things. They were a religious people. Okay? But now let's, um, let's go through uh, and just pick out here, which is a very dominant theme in the book of Amos from the second chapter. They sell into slavery honest people who cannot pay their debts, the poor who cannot repay even the price of a pair of sandals. They trample down the weak and helpless and push the poor out of the way. At every place of worship, people sleep on clothing that they have taken from the poor as security for debts. In the temple of their God, they drink wine, which they have taken from those who owe them money. Okay, so what is being said here in this passage? It is, you know what? You you guys who are wealthy and and have so much, you're oppressing the poor. Okay, the outcast of society, the the class uh, distinction here is uh, widening. Okay, and for honest people that can't pay their debts, there's no mercy. Okay, so there is abuse of uh, the the lower levels of society. In the third chapter, the Lord says, These people fill their mansions with things taken by crime and violence. They don't even know how to be honest. Only a few will survive of Samaria's people who now recline on luxurious couches. Okay, so God here is uh, criticizing the, the upper class who are getting their money dishonestly and uh, who have uh, no thought uh, towards the outcasts of society. Amos 4, listen to this, you women of Samaria who grow fat like the well-fed cows of Bashan, who mistreat the weak, there's again, mistreat the weak, oppress the poor, and demand that your husbands keep you supplied with liquor, okay? So criticism of the, some of the women in, in that time. Okay, a few verses later. The Sovereign Lord says, People of Israel, go to the holy place in Bethel and sin if you must. Go to Gilgal and sin with all your might. Go ahead and bring animals to be sacrificed morning after morning. And bring your tithes every third day. Go on and offer your bread in thanksgiving to God. And brag about the extra offerings you bring. This is the kind of thing you love to do. Okay, so um, again, there is very much a discrepancy here. Uh, religious people, sure, going to church, paying tithe extra tithe, okay, but the, the treatment, the, the real life of these people, the way people were treated, uh, they were uh, vicious if you were uh, on, the, on the outcast of society. Amos five, you people hate anyone who challenges injustice and speaks the whole truth in court. You have oppressed the poor, there it is again, and robbed them of their grain. And so you will not live in the fine stone houses you build or drink wine from the beautiful vineyards you plant. I know how terrible your sins are and how many crimes you've committed. You persecute good people, take bribes, and prevent the poor. I mean, how many times are the poor mentioned here in Amos? You prevent the poor from getting justice in the courts. Okay, this is the the sin of the people in this time. Okay, move on to the chapter 6. God condemns them for their easy life. And they're, they're striving to just be safe. In verse four, how terrible it will be for you that stretch out on your luxurious couches, feasting on veal and lamb. Okay, and then in verse seven, your feasts and banquets will come to an end. Okay, it was a lavish lifestyle, but the problem was that with that is in the context of people starving you know, on the other side of town, uh, this is inappropriate. And uh, this, most commentaries say, this is the key passage in Amos. Amos 5 verses 21 to 24. Uh, This is really the book uh, kind of seems to revolve around this. The Lord says, and just imagine God saying this uh, to us today. The Lord says, I hate your religious festivals. I cannot stand them. When you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not accept the animals you have fattened to bring me as offerings. Stop your noisy songs. I do not want to listen to your harps. Instead, now what's the alternative? Yeah, great, you're doing all these religious things. No, this is what God wants. Instead, let justice flow like a stream and righteousness like a river that never goes dry. Now, in the context of the verses we just read, where the injustice was, you're oppressing the poor, you're gaining wealth for yourself um, at the expense of of helping others. The injustice here, or the the justice that God would seem to want, is to reverse uh, that situation. And I have to read this here in the Message Bible. It gives it a little punch. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. Okay, now, uh, remember, Isaiah follows right after Amos. Okay, Amos had a message. Mike and Hosea are right in there. And then we have Isaiah. And uh, it's such a parallel passage to what we read here in Amos that I think this is a good time uh, to bring it up. Very, very similar. Do you think that I want all these sacrifices you keep offering to me? Now, didn't God ask for sacrifices? But, but here in this context, again, it's, it's not appropriate what they're doing. I've had more than enough of the sheep you burn as sacrifices and of the fat of your fine animals. I'm tired of the blood of bulls and sheep and goats. Who asked you to bring me all this when you come to worship me? Well, who did? Who asked you to do all this tramping around in my temple? It's useless to bring your offerings. I'm disgusted with the smell of the incense you burn. I cannot stand your new moon festivals, your Sabbaths. And your religious gatherings, they are all corrupted by your sins. Same kind of behavior that we're talking about in Amos. I hate your new moon festivals and holy days. They are a burden that I am tired of bearing. When you lift your hands in prayer, I will not look at you. No matter how much you pray, I will not listen, for your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves clean. Stop all this evil I see you doing. Yes, stop doing evil and learn to do right. See that justice is done. Again, what does justice mean in this context? Here it is. Help those who are oppressed. Give orphans their right. Defend widows. Okay, justice in Amos and in Isaiah is this, helping the oppressed, giving orphans their right, defending widows. Okay, that is the justice that that God is is looking for. And so um, as I've gone through and just looked at all of the references to justice in, uh, in the Old Testament, it seems quite uh, overwhelming to me, and I'm going to try to go through a number of verses to uh, persuade you of this, that justice in the Old Testament is actually something we'd like to be on the receiving end of, okay? And let me just give you a few examples. In Psalm 82, defend, defend the poor and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy. Now, that does that mean punish the afflicted and needy? Do justice to the afflicted and needy? Uh, again, it has to do with uh, poor, out, outcasts of society, the widows, the people that have been oppressed. Okay, And in Isaiah 30, the Lord is waiting to be kind to you. He rises to have compassion on you. The Lord is a God of justice. Again, what does this mean? What is God's justice? He's waiting to be kind to you. He rises to have compassion on you. He's a God of justice. And so we're going to consider these two words that are translated here as justice or righteousness in the Old Testament Sedeca and Mishpat. And what I I want to suggest is that we consider the meaning of these words and the context with which the the words are used. Okay, this is the passage we just read in in Isaiah 1, uh, 16 and 17, that the justice is to help the oppressed, give orphans their right, defend widows. That's justice. In Jeremiah 21, give justice each morning to the people you judge. Help And again, what does that look like? Well, help those who have been robbed. Rescue them from their oppressors. Okay, now it does mean intervening. How do you intervene against an oppressor? Well, that is an act of uh, justice, but it is for the defense of the, the weaker. In Ezekiel, thus says the Lord God, Enough, O princes of Israel. Remove violence and plundering. Execute justice and righteousness and stop dispossessing my people. You shall have honest scales. And um, what what I have appreciated as a a theme all the way through the Old Testament is when justice is used, it it is not uh, an act of violence, okay? It is preventing to stop violence, remove violence and plundering, execute justice. Jeremiah 22, act with justice and righteousness and deliver the hand of the oppressor, anyone who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the alien, the orphan, the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place. Okay, again and again and again, this concept of of justice, it is in the context of a people um, who are being oppressed and intervention is needed. Okay, so here's a good quote here on uh, this subject in the Old Testament from a book uh, called From Charity to Social Justice i um, losing the top of it there, but I think I can read it. Jewish kings were commanded to practice mishpat and tzedekah, this uh, justice. The literal translation of this term is justice and righteousness, or justice and charity. And in fact, it's interesting. If you look at uh, a number of Jewish charities, they're actually uh, named after this uh, tzedekah. It's a charity, you know, where you're donating money and they're gonna do something for the poor. Justice and charity. Classical as well as modern commentators agree that this command does not refer to courtroom justice and charity, but to social justice. The major wrongdoing to which the prophets objected was not the perversion of the judicial process, but the oppression and exploitation of the poor by the political elite and the wealthy classes. One modern political scientist wrote, the execution of righteousness and justice in the royal domain refers primarily to acts on behalf of the poor, and less fortunate classes of the people. This policy was implemented primarily by means of social legislation rather than by court judgments. The idea or ideal of social justice has a long history in Judaism. Okay, so uh, just a couple more, and then we'll we'll try to um, apply this a little bit. In Deuteronomy 10, he executes justice. Again, how is that defined? Who is it for? For the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. Okay? God's justice is really mercy, kindness, um, inaction. Deuteronomy 24, You shall not pervert the justice due the alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment in pledge. Okay? I, I think it's really overwhelming how this is used in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Now, here's, here are words that you're very familiar with in Micah, okay, which we'll talk about here in just a few weeks. But I think this is very powerful. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Hey, here are the options. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Okay, it's kind of suggesting here, kind of an appeasement. Wouldn't God be pleased with lots more, many more sacrifices, rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? Well, all the way through the Old Testament, you see people giving their firstborn for their transgression. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Well, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Now, how would you answer this? What does God require of us? Okay, forget the song that you know, but if you're just asked here, what what does God require of us? You know, we often tend to emphasize uh, getting the right belief structure. Well, have got to get the doctrines right. And then nothing wrong. I mean, I'm all for getting the beliefs right. Absolutely. Okay, but what does God require of us? To do justice. Okay, now these are not, do not stand in contrast here. To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Okay, and again, to do justice is, is, has, has to do with uh, how we treat people. So in America, I think AMOS very much applies um, to us today. Uh, and, and I think these are rather undisputable facts here, that our lifestyle is about four times the national average. And uh, a lot of good data on this, that as a whole, Americans spend 90%, 97% of their income um, on ourselves. So is there a discrepancy worldwide between... You know, a a certain group of people who tend to have more and others who have less? Uh, Absolutely, and especially in this country. And and that's where I think the the Book of Amos, at least for me studying it this week, it it really came home. Um, Several months ago, well, actually it's about maybe seven or eight months ago, um, uh, my wife's parents were planning a trip uh, to come out here and we were trying to decide what to do with them. And uh, her, her dad can't walk very well, so we were trying to find... You know, something, some little vacation we could take where uh, he wouldn't have to do much walking. And finally, we said, well, let's go on a cruise. Might enjoy that. Uh, He wanted to go to Alaska. So we were in university travel trying to make some plans. And right across the way, there was a, a medical student also making plans. And except his was for a mission trip to Africa. And I was just sitting there the whole time, really paying attention to what was going on behind me. Here I'm planning a trip on an Alaska cruise, and this medical student is, uh, you know, going on it, but probably with a lot of debt, is going off on a mission trip to Africa. So, so I admire what many of you do in terms of um, having a dedication to, to mission work and, uh, and the percentage of people uh, in each class that do that. I think it's wonderful, but I think you want to decide now at this young age even with the mountain of debt that most of you have that um, you know most of you will be making a lot more money than most people and to be committed to being generous not just with money uh, but generous with your time, generous with all of your resources, uh, to correct injustice in the world, to do everything you can by every means to uh, intervene just like the book of Amos is, uh, is asking for. So let's come back to the word uh, justice here. When you justify a word document, uh, are you, you, may, you might feel like it, but are you punishing your, your document? Um, what does that mean, to justify something? Of course, you're, you're, make, you're aligning things, right? Justice means to set right, to put right, to align. It, it very much has to do uh, even with uh, reconciliation. Okay? And, I, and I see that the theme is coming through here in the Bible. Okay, just a few more. This one in Zechariah is, is uh, just wonderful. This is what the Lord of Army says Administer real justice. What does real justice look like? Be compassionate and kind to each other. Now, that may mean locking up criminals and protecting uh, those who are being oppressed. Okay, and the last one here in Amos, in this Hebrew parallelism, we've said the first line or the second line emphasizes, reinforces the meaning of the first line. It's not based on rhyme, but on repetition. You've turned justice into poison, right into wrong. Justice, then, uh, goes with doing what is right. Poison goes with uh, doing what is wrong. So, uh, and probably a thought here many have have had, well, what about punishment, since we brought it up here? Uh, What is punishment? Okay, and certainly there is a punishment, Uh, undeniably. Our question is, uh, how does that punishment uh, get uh, meted out? And so the flood, perhaps, would be uh, an example that would come to mind. Wasn't God punishing the people? In that time isn't that an example of God's justice and we spent a whole hour on the flood so it's maybe dangerous to summarize the flood in in three minutes here but but let me try okay let's read uh, just the words here that were given to Noah Noah had no faults and was the only good man of his time is that true just one he lived in fellowship with God but everyone else was evil everyone in God's sight and violence had spread everywhere God looked at the world and saw that it was evil, for the people were all living evil lives. The Lord said to Noah, "Go into the boat with your whole family. I have found that you are the only one in all the world who does what is right." Okay, well, maybe it's an exaggeration, or what? Uh, what does that mean? Well, you know, Noah built this boat and he preached his message for a long period of time. Okay, if there were a hundred righteous people like Noah, a thousand, uh, wouldn't some of them have gotten on the boat? Okay, wouldn't have God have built a fleet of uh, boats if there were lots and lots of people like Noah, but no one got on the boat? Wouldn't that kind of suggest that Noah really was the only good man of his time? Okay, And what would that mean? Now, let's just imagine here that there wasn't a flood. Uh, Noah dies, the last man that has a trusting relationship with God. Okay, Now God has no one on the earth. Now, what do you think happens or would happen to an earth where God has absolutely no contact, no connection, no relationship, even with a single person on the entire planet. Okay, do you think things would fall apart? Um, well, that's, that's how I would under, understand the flood, is that God allowed the flood here. I would see it as a rescue mission, really. Save the last man. Everyone else, anyone could have gotten on the boat. There didn't seem to be a criteria. You didn't have to sign a, a list of a statement of uh, beliefs or whatever to get on the boat, get on the boat. Okay, no one did. And so God rescued the last man. And then we have Abraham. And there would have been no avenue for the Messiah to come if we didn't have Noah here uh, coming through the, the flood. So we can see, I think, and, and as, as I've gone through the Old Testament many times here in, in uh, Bible studies with medical students, every, quotes violent intervention in the Old Testament, I think we can see that not as a retributive punishment but as an act, an, an intervention that was necessary, okay, in order, you know, uh, for uh, for God to be able to bring something good out of this. Okay, we would see it more in that light than God wanting to come and punish the people, these uh, the evil people that are described. Well, we should say more about that. Now, clearly, there is a justice that involves punishment, okay. And as a parent, I'm certainly familiar with this kind of punishment. I have two boys. These are not my two boys. I just found this picture uh, here on. Um, on the internet, but you know, if uh, you give your boys a little bit of time to play DS or whatever it might be, and uh, they're abusing that. They don't do their chores. They're not doing their homework. And, okay, as a good parent, you will punish. No DS for a week. Okay, But is that a retributive? Uh, yeah, someone said that's harsh. but <laughs> is, that a, is that a retributive punishment? Isn't it a punishment for the sake of a good outcome? Okay, you're punishing because you want to get their attention. That's wrong. Don't do that. It's discipline. Okay, it's not a retributive punishment. So uh, the, the context of Jeremiah 30 is people going off into the Babylonian captivity. And God said, I will discipline you, but with justice. I cannot let you go unpunished. And the, the captivity, the Babylonian captivity specifically, I think that we read this last week, is the, the discipline of captivity. And God said, you know, I hope you guys will change your mind and come back when you go off into captivity. So maybe a question we can ask. Who is the punisher? And um, I would like to make a case that there is a punisher. Jeremiah 2. You have brought this on yourself by abandoning the Lord your God when he led you on his way. Your own wickedness will correct you and your unfaithful ways will punish you. You should know and see how evil and bitter it is for you if you abandon the Lord your God. The punishment is severe, but in, at least in this context, you know, it is leaving God's side, okay? abandoning God, and then what happens? Your own wickedness will correct you. A few chapters later in Jeremiah, Judah, you have brought this on yourself by the way you have lived, by the things you have done. Your sin has caused this suffering. It has stabbed you through the heart. Okay? The, the punishment here is sin, rebellion, rebellion, leaving God's side, not trusting God, okay? And that punishment is very severe. Psalm seven, see how wicked people think up evil. They plan trouble, practice deception, but in the traps they set for others, they themselves get caught. So they are punished by their own evil and are hurt by their own violence. I thank the Lord for his justice. I sing praises to the Lord, the Most High. So at least in those three examples, the the punisher is our own sinful, rebellious um, attitude. Last year I gave these uh, examples. But you know, if you were to step off a cliff, um, God would not need to set in motion the process of gravity in order that you hurt yourself um, for for doing that. It's a natural consequence. There is a law of gravity. Okay, if you decide, you know what, I'm just not going to study for a month. I'll give a month off. and uh, Boy, you know, that really makes instructors angry. And when you come in to take your test, they find out you haven't studied. They go in and they even change a few of the answers to wrong answers as a punishment. Okay, is your poor grade a, a natural consequence? Do the same thing with uh, brushing your teeth. You don't brush your teeth for a month. Okay, do dentists sneak in in the middle of the night and put the cavities um, in there as a consequence for not brushing? Okay, no, you get cavities from not brushing, a natural consequence. Okay, if you smoke, boy, that's bad. It angers doctors. The bad thing about smoking, what's really bad about smoking, is that uh, doctors will give you lung cancer if you smoke. Okay, or. Does smoking itself result, there's a natural consequence of smoking? Now, the reason I think this becomes practical here is, let's just imagine that the reputation of doctors, here's what doctors are known for. If you smoke, uh, doctors will punish you okay, forever with fire. okay. Now, would you want to go see a doctor? Now, you actually might. You might want to go see the doctor because you don't want that to happen. But that would, would that really be going to see the doctor for the right reason. What does the doctor want? You come to the doctor. I'm a smoker. I can't stop smoking. Okay, what does the doctor do? Well, he might bring up some x-rays. Let me show you some pictures of patients that I've had with lung cancer. It's devastating. Okay, now, if you trust me, I can help you. I have a good uh, stop smoking clinic. Uh, We have nicotine patches. We have all kinds of things. I've had many patients that I've been able to help stop smoking. I'm not speaking for myself here. I'm a neurologist. But, um, you know, as a physician, what do you do? You warn the patient of the consequence of smoking and you have a remedy. You can help the patient. Now, would it make sense for the patient to say, look, I I just came here to get forgiven. I don't want to get better or anything. I just, just kind of like to get forgiven. And what kind of a legalistic doctor are you? Are you telling me I have to trust you? I have to do something. I have to come to this clinic. Um, I need to stop, uh, gradually come off the cigarettes. The way that's uh, legalism, Uh, a patient would never say that. Okay, so um, sometimes our our model of things, we wanna maybe reconsider uh, how things really work in our relationship with God. Now, what about the death of Jesus? Um, Who was the punisher in this case? Okay, and these words from Isaiah 53. <clears throat> but he endured the suffering that should have been ours, the pain that we should have borne. Now, all the while we thought that his suffering was punishment sent by God. And isn't that the, probably the dominant model of understanding the cross? We thought that his punishment was sent by God. Well, no, I think. But because of our sins, he was wounded, beaten because of the evil we did. Again, another huge subject, but what did Jesus cry out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you given me up? And we have previously said those are very meaningful words in the Old Testament. God's anger we associate with being handed over, given up, forsaken, abandoned. Okay, And we've tried to show in many examples here in the Old Testament that the consequence of that, that broken relationship where the people are not interested in God, they just want to go their own way, And God, you know, has this choice of becoming puppet master and taking away their free will, or he allows them to freely go their own way. Okay, and there's a horrible consequence. Okay, I think what we see at the cross is um, the inherent, destructive, malignant nature of sin itself. Sin pays the wage. Death. So just a few more examples. Quotes here. George MacDonald, who was, um, C.S. Lewis said, the most influential uh, figure in his life and in his uh, conversion. Uh, This is really a wonderful quote here by George MacDonald. Sadly, there are those who would have us love Christ for protecting us from God instead of leading us to God, the one home of safety. They imagine justice and love dwelling in eternal opposition in the bosom of eternal unity. Now, as we move forward to the New Testament, and just in just a few minutes, did the concept of justice change from Old Testament to New Testament? We have a totally new model now uh, for what justice is. Uh, Let me just give you one uh, example here. This is a quote uh, from the Old Testament, messianic prophecy about Jesus. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. And again, one understanding of justice here is it would seem completely incompatible with the rest of this. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And then justice. Again, we associate with uh, this very uh, mighty um, intervention, perhaps a punishment. Well, um, justice here, just in this one uh, passage here, uh, this, if you read all of Matthew 23, it's talking about the abuse of the Pharisees. They are just like these people in Amos. They're abusing the poor. They're getting money at the expense of others. And so Jesus would say to them, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees are the authorized interpreter of Moses' law. So you must obey and follow everything they tell you to do. Do not, however, imitate their actions because they don't practice what they preach. They tie onto people's backs loads that are heavy and hard to carry, yet they aren't willing even to lift a finger to help them carry those loads. How terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give to God one-tenth, even of the seasoning herbs such as mint and dill, just like Amos. Yeah, they're tithing. They're going to church. They're doing all of this. They're sacrificing. But you neglect to obey the really important teachings of the law, such as justice and mercy and honesty. These you should practice without neglecting the others. I think this is the same message here. Hey, you know what? It's much more important that you would treat the poor and the outcasts with compassion, with love, than that you tithe the seeds Okay, why don't you do justice um, to the least of these? Okay, I think it's exactly the same uh, concept as we discussed justice in the Old Testament. So coming back to the woman caught in adultery here, um, this is an act of justice on God's part. She was the one being abused. If, If you read the Old Testament passage here, they're supposed to bring the man and the woman together. Okay, they just brought the woman. It was a trap. They're condemning her. They want her to be stoned. And so God, again, here, uh, justice in action, it's intervention against oppressors, and in this case, uh, protecting this woman. And certainly he did tell her, uh, go and sin no more. Hey, don't, uh, let's don't do that anymore. Okay, but his action was to intervene against uh, the abuse at the hands of uh, these uh, Pharisees. So if I could just finish with one last quote, if you want to read a really stimulating book uh, here, it's called Stricken by God. It's a multi-authored book. Uh, But there's one chapter here on justice, and Sharon Baker is the author. While retributive justice seeks to fit the punishment to the crime, attempting to control wrongdoing through punishment, restorative justice forgives the crime and seeks to redeem wrongdoing through a repairing of the relationship. At the cross, we see God turning away the opportunity to exact retributive justice and the demand for retribution, and instead God would choose to forgive. At the cross, we come face to face with the shameful depravity of our own sin by coming face to face with the one who has the right and the power to punish, but who instead loves and forgives. In the face of human hatred and hardness of heart, God still managed to redeem. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for perhaps... um, a new window on, on understanding things of such great importance and pray for each one of us that um, that we would have an interest and a compassion for people who are not as fortunate as we are that we won't be like the people during the time of amos or the people during the time of jesus that will only be concerned about ourselves and greed and so on uh, but help us to be generous and interested in the outcasts of society the poor and um, pray that we would intervene in appropriate ways in our time. Amen.